0: afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports
1: leader. Hi, right, welcome back to the show. Five o'clock hour here. Howard Balls are doing a great job filling in for Burns. He really en- enjoying the talk. We had a terrific interview earlier today with Terrence Ross, which I believe is up on the uh, ArizonaSports.com website. You can check that out if you missed it. Terrence Ross was fantastic. It's been a good week for Bickley and Murata. With Newsmakers Week, our good friends have had a... A lot of terrific guests, and one of them was Michael Bidwell, who was on this morning for Newsmakers Week, and he talked about why they decided not to hire Sean Payton.
0: The issues around um, uh, around Coach Payton were had nothing to do with the money, the compensation that we would be paying him. It was all the compensation the the draft compensation to right. the Saints, and we just weren't willing to go what with what the Saints wanted uh, us to give up. It would would have been too costly to the team team for us to rebuild that roster and, and it was really a series of trade-offs and I still felt like we've got great coaches out there that can that can you know get this team turned around I think we were right when you look at JG. Hey, what's fascinating
1: about that really is what did they want like I would love mm-hmm. to know what did they want what what did they want to get to let Sean Payton come here I do think money was a factor you've got to play Hey, Cliff Kingsbury, about $7.5 million a year for the next four years. And, you know, you've got a new coach you're going to pay, and Peyton's going to cost a lot more than Jonathan Gannon or anybody else you hired. So I would be surprised if money wasn't a factor. Uh, but it is interesting that he talked about the draft pick compensation. Because, look, I, I know how you feel, but for me, I did not want to give up quality draft compensation for a coach. I was against it.
2: Hey, here's, here's two quick points. And certainly Peyton was also, I'm sure, had – a number in mind of what the budget he wanted for his assistant coaching staff also. But here's the strange thing to me, Gambo. When this whole thing started, it was pretty much said that the teams that were in on the possibility of getting Sean Payton knew the general parameters of what the Saints were looking for in compensation. That was put out there quite often. So for all of a sudden the Cardinals to go through all this and to have him in and to talk to him and then say that well it was all about the compensation. We didn't want to do that. Well you knew what kind of compensation they were going to be looking for. Sean Payton came out with it himself and said at one point that he expected it to be a mid to a late round first round draft pick. Now, but the Cardinals did, were the last to interview him.
1: They 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 were were the last. So I think it was kind of on a sudden, okay, we got to interview him. Now nobody else has hired him. We have to interview him, show our fans that we're willing to at least talk to him. But I think in a roundabout way, they would have loved if somebody would have hired him before he even got to the interview process.
2: Perhaps. Perhaps that's true. You know, perhaps that's true. But I think it's, you know, to say that all of a sudden that, oh, we were, we just didn't want to give all that compensation when you knew there was going to be some level of compensation involved and that the compensation that the Saints ended up giving to me was not all that much. Getting a coach of the pedigree and the experience and the success of Sean Payton, and so, but here, you know, that's way that's where they're deciding to go forward with it, and they're they're happy with where they are now, and we'll, we'll have to wait and see if, if you know if it, if it, if it all works out. But we also know this that whatever is being spent on this coaching staff right now is a whole lot less than it would have been had Sean Payton become the head coach. Man, look, that had to be a factor. I mean, you would had- think so. It has
1: to be. I mean, Michael's not an owner like a lot of these other owners that, you know, made their fortunes somewhere else and have businesses that he's not Matt Ishbia, right? I mean, you know, Michael's fortune is through the Cardinals, through his dad, you know, and nothing wrong with that. It passed on from family, but and, and family generational wealth, if you could pass it down, great. You know, we all would do it. It's just that I don't think that. I think that it is a factor. I think paying him because he's not going to come in and take a subpar salary structure for his assistant coaches. It, Sean Payton's not no. going to do that, and, you know. And and, and I we, do think that
2: Gannon Gannon is doing that. And yeah, no, exactly. And we we don't know the actual contract that Payton signed. Most of the most of the numbers, the speculation pegged it at somewhere between seventeen and twenty million dollars a year just for Sean Payton. And and I I I would beg I would I would think that this whole coaching staff that they're gonna end up hiring might not even be seventeen to twenty eight million twenty million dollars a year. Well, I think it's, it's probably gonna fall in under that for the entire staff.
1: I think there's a reason why they didn't fire those fifteen coaches that were still under staff right before they uh, hired Gannon that they hadn't let go yet. Here is Michael Bidwell talking about retaining the draft capital, the draft capital, and how that's gonna help
0: the team go forward. Having said that, okay. We knew there were great coaches out there, so if you know if some of those in that category of um, some some of the deals you do, you know we're going to be really happy. And versus the deals you don't do, we're going to be really happy with those draft choices this year and next year that we'll have on uh, at the draft that will help us get this team better quickly.
1: There's no doubt we're all going to enjoy that, right? i mean when draft day comes Good. and you you've got a first round pick now, um, you know to use the third overall pick, you have your second round pick, and if you trade. Hopkins, and you get somebody else. I mean, you know that that is something that I I, I didn't want to give up the draft capital if it was a first round pick this year or even a first round pick next year with the possibility that next year could be a down year that you could have another down year next year because it's you know you know Kyle Murray for a little while so I was reluctant to give that up and so oh. I'm am cl- glad that they did it but you know this we're gonna know we're gonna know pretty we're gonna know within a couple of years whether they made the right move or not because if Sean Payton's Ass in Denver and your coach is you know, winning five or six games and you've got to fire him after two or three years, you're going to look back and say, we should have hired Sean Payton. Now, if your coach kills, there were five coaches hired this cycle. Okay, Not all of them are going to have success. Some of them are going to be fired sooner rather than later. Some of them aren't going to make it to four years or five years. Some may not make it to three, and that's where you've just got to kind of figure out, okay, did we hire the right coach or not?
2: No, absolutely. And what's really going to be crucial, obviously, this goes without saying, is those picks that they're coveting, that those picks have to work out. Obviously, the third overall pick is going to be – can be franchise-changing – if you use it or if you parlay it into getting even more picks. But that early second-round pick, that's that's an early pick in the second round. You have your own third-round pick. You're probably going to get a pick at the end of the third round as a compensatory choice for the loss of Chandler Jones as a free agent. So that's four picks in... In the first two days of the draft, and those players have to be guys that come in and, and make an immediate impact and, and help change your team and make it a whole lot better yeah. than it is
1: thank god they don 't judge Chandler on you know, his play this year because then you wouldn't even <laughs> get a, you wouldn 't even get a seventh round pick. If that was the case. All right, Michael Bidwell talking about his new general manager, Monty Ostenford. Here's what he had to say. His
0: plan, simply put. His plan, and if you look at his background in addition to his plan, I had a lot of faith in his plan because he spent years at New England. He was back. They was invited back there twice. Uh, in talking to Robert Kraft, they'd have him back in a minute. He was a big loss when, when he left. And um, and then his plan. He's got a plan. It's a, it's a modified New England plan. About how we're going to acquire talent, you know, both through the draft and free agency, the types of players we're going to look for, it marries up very well with Jonathan Gannon uh, and his vision for players and how we're going to run an offense, how we're going to run a defense and special teams as well. I think I think part of that modified plan, you're going to see them. Uh, you're not going to see the, the the
1: money and the draft pick spent on the safeties and the linebackers. I think you're going to see them really invest in the offensive line, the defensive line. The draft picks, and, you know, draft, you know, sometimes you do have to draft for need. You know, there's always oh, draft the best available player. And sometimes that backfires on you, but sometimes it backfires the other way, too, when you pass on a great yeah. player. But I do think you're going to see and you talked about the New England way. I think you'll see them invest heavily in both the draft free agency on the offensive and defensive lines. That's where I think they'll start
2: no i, I think you 're one hundred percent right, and I think the one the one word of caution 'll just i 'll just put out is that The New England plan is Bill Belichick, and obviously a lot of the success was Tom Brady. And this is a 500 team in the last three seasons after Tom Brady left. And if you really go back and look at the Patriots draft over 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 a number of years, they haven't been great drafting teams. They really haven't been. Now they've parlayed, they've traded around, and they've gone here and they've gone there, and they've traded picks for extra picks. And some of them have worked out. Don't get me wrong, but it's not exact. It's not as if they've been this great great drafting team. So that's what it's all going to come down to. Whether wherever you come from, you learn certain things here, you learn certain things there, but it all comes down to evaluating players and having them fit with what you're doing. And I think that's that's a key thing that was mentioned there is drafting players that the coaches are comfortable with that they 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 all believe that can be coached up and play good football and then of course stay healthy. But the one thing that I want to find out Gambo and and I want to ask this, is that I asked this at the end of the season when Cliff Kingsbury was still the coach, is the organization going to look at all these injuries that this team has experienced over the last two years? Is there a common thread? Is there something that is is going on that has caused the number of injuries that has really hampered this team over the last year and a half? Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, and Cliff Kingsbury said at one point, he said, well, yeah, that's going to be something we have to look at. Now, that hasn't been asked since the end of the regular season, but it's something that uh, should, needs to be asked at some point. Because right. you, you, know, you can have the best laid plans and draft all these players, but you, know, you look at this Philadelphia Eagles team, and, and the Chiefs for that matter, Gambo. How healthy look, they were. Unbelievably healthy yep, throughout healthy the entire yeah. season. You so you, tr- you have to have that health if you're going to be successful. Yeah. Uh, the, pl- the players you have, they, they have to be available. You
1: have to go over that, all of that with your training staff, and you've got to figure out what are we doing right, what are we doing wrong, why do we keep coming up with these... You know, these uh, soft tissue injuries that they've had. All right, if you subscribe to the Burns & Gambo Show podcast, subscribe right now on your iPhone or Android. You'll never miss any of the shows. It's the Burns & Gambo Show brought to you by Carol Royce, your home sold guaranteed realty. Get a higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed offers. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. They call him the point god, but one publication thinks that if Chris Paul doesn't win a championship this year, they're going to take that away. We'll talk about that next 98.7, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.
0: Burns and Gambo, afternoons on Arizona Sports, the
2: local
0: sports leader. All right, thanks for joining us on
1: Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. I'm going to take you up till 6 o'clock today and uh really great week for newsmakers week we'll touch on Drew Petzing's press conference in a little bit We had Terrence Ross on the show earlier. We'll uh, talk about that as well. But one of the interesting uh, angles that we talked about today that I I really liked was this story in Deadspin on on Chris Paul and the Arizona Cardinals. Chris Paul has the moniker. They call him the point god. And they were making a comparison that, you know, if he doesn't win a championship— you know, this year, like, how can he really be considered that? And they talked about other point guards and stuff. And you know, it just comes to Oscar Robertson, Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, the one with the Pistons. There are a lot of great point guards that you people might say this guy was better than Chris Paul. He's among the best that's ever played the game. I don't think there's any question about that. And there's been a lot of great players in all sports that have never won a championship. So, I mean, I don't understand the vitriol sometimes for Chris Paul. I mean, if he doesn't right. win a championship, I mean. It doesn't, it doesn't define his career. It, he's one of the greatest point guards that's ever played this game. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's got all these accomplishments already. He would just go in a long line of terrific athletes that, that were at the best at what they did that never won a title.
2: No, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I'm, gla- I'm glad that you mentioned uh, Oscar Robertson uh, because you're going back to, uh, to, to my day uh, to a degree. But, yeah, there were, there were some, there's there been great, obviously, point guards Throughout the history uh, of this sport, and you can certainly start thinking of some that didn't win a championship. And I know we talked about this earlier. You mentioned other guys that hadn't won championships, that you know, big guys like you know Carl Malone and you know guys like that. But you know, how about how about John Stockton? I mean, there, there's Stockton's a guy is one was, of the greatest uh, ever. Yeah, yeah, a tremendous, tremendous uh, point guard. And so it, it comes down, and I've always said this, Gambo, is that team sports. Are won by teams, and it's the best. Sometimes it's just the best team in that particular series or in that particular day. If it's a one-game deal, uh, like the Super Bowl in the NFL, but those are team. It's a team sport, and teams win. And there's nothing that drives me nuts more than to hear someone say about a quarterback or about a point guard or whoever it might be, is that he won. He won a championship or he lost as if he did it as if he was able to do it by himself. The only guy and, who might
1: have been able to do it by himself was Jordan, but he didn't. No, he, he did. he, I mean, he, he they, had they, Pippen,
2: they, yeah, exactly. And they, they didn't win for a bunch of years until they got Pippen and some other good and other good supporting well, staff. They couldn't
1: get by, yes. they couldn't get I mean, at that point. The, the Boston and Detroit, you know, Boston was just getting old at that point, and then Detroit was a thorn in their side. Then eventually, when those teams got old, the Bulls had the team to do it, but to your point right. on team, Yesterday was the 43rd anniversary of Lake Placid, the Miracle on Ice, and I'll never forget one of the lines that Herb Brooks said afterwards. If we played that team ten times, if we played that team ten times, they beat us nine. But not tonight. Tonight is our night. That's what he said before the to his team. If we play them ten times, they'll beat us nine times. We only, but tonight is not that night. Tonight we're going to play our best game. We're going to go out there, and and the USA they stunned Russia. It was incredible. It was one of the great moments in sports history. and, and, and then they went on Then they beat Finland for the gold medal game. Jim Craig, Mike Arruzzioni, I think we could probably name the entire team. But you remember that. I mean, oh, yeah. they, they didn't have better talent than, than no. the Soviet Union. And that was during the Cold War. That was the, Listen, I grew up in an era and so did you when we were in elementary school we had bomb alerts. We had to go under our desk and sit yes. under Okay, if the alarm went off. You got to go under your desk like this little piece of wood is going to save me from a bomb on my school. But that's the era we lived in with the Cold War. There was such hate between the USA and Russia. And so by beating them it meant more to this country than than anything at that time by beating the Soviet Union. And Herb Brooks said it, we could, we could play them 10 times. They're going to beat us 9 times, but not tonight. Tonight we're going to beat them and they did it as a team, not an
2: individual player. They did it as a team. Exactly. That's that's the beauty of sport that it is a team and teams come together and all the different plays and all the different changes that happen in a game that might be done in football by a special teams guy or 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 someone will hit a Huge shot that you're going, oh man, I can't believe that guy did that. I mean, look at a guy like, remember Robert Ory? I mean, how hot how he would big be shots in, he hit, yeah. in, in postseason. I mean, that, that's, yeah, that that's what wins is is team, and that's what makes, that's what brings us back. Yeah, the individual effort does. The great players obviously bring us to watch, and we love watching the greatest and the great players and all that. But when it comes to winning and losing, it's, it's all about team and all the different things that can happen in a game. We can just go look back. At that Super Bowl a couple of weeks ago, and look at this play here and that play there, and the punt return. You know, a, a bad
1: punt. Without that punt return, sure.
2: Yeah, yeah, a bad punt by an Eagles guy. We talked about injuries. An, an Eagles punter who hadn't punted in six weeks, but it was activated the day before the game After, after being out with a leg injury, and he came up with an awful punt that's returned to the five-yard line, and it's a huge play uh, in, that, a penalty, in that game. a penalty. A penalty
1: on a yep. crucial holding penalty that many officials probably wouldn't have called
2: yeah, at exactly. that
1: point. Yeah, Listen, I mean, Dan Marino, I, I think what happens is, I think initially when a player's career ends, if Chris Paul's career ends and he doesn't have a championship, it, it is something to discuss, it is something to talk about, but eventually you've got to appreciate what that guy did, and the way we appreciate Jim Kelly for taking the Bills to Four Super Bowls. We appreciate Dan Marino and the greatness of Dan Marino. Even though he only got to one Super Bowl and lost, what was his second year in the league, I think it was. I think yeah. it was his second mm-hmm. year in the league. Second year. So many great players. And, you know, we talk about the, the, the greats, Patrick Ewing and Charles Barkley and Carl Malone. You know, in those days, like, Ewing never had another superstar with him. The closest they came is they put Charles Oakley with them. You know, they traded Cartwright for Oakley. The Ewing never had. He had John Starks with them and, you know, an older Maurice Cheek and the older Derek Harper and but he never had a true star alongside him and you know I mean you, you say what you want about Kevin Johnson here with Barkley but Barkley didn't have he had a good players around him but not a star so I do think that people look at Chris Paul with Durant and Booker and like okay like you really I understand that you probably expected to win it now but I don't think you define his career by whether he wins it or lose it some people will but it's a shame because he's you know at that kind of takes away from everything that he's accomplished in his game for all the years he's played.
2: No, absolutely. And then to think in this year that all of a sudden you're going to be together for 21 games or however many it is before the playoffs start and that are you going to come together as a team and have that chemistry that's necessary for a team to come together and, and play winning basketball on a consistent basis. Yeah, it's possible, but it doesn't mean that it's automatic. And I think, again, that, as I said, that's, you know, that's, the be- that's the beauty of our games. That's the beauty of the sport that keeps coming, bringing us Back for more, but I also think sometimes, sure. Gambo, and you hear coaches say it all the time how hard it is just to win a game, especially in the NFL because there's only 17 during the season. But in any sport, winning is hard. Winning a championship, I mean, just think of that. Just think of how many games you have to win in the postseason to what 16 games, four series, and, and you, yep. you, have, you have to beat four teams in a row and grind it out. Games that you're playing the same team, you know. Somebody does it every
1: year, though, right? There's well, somebody, yeah, does someone it. has to. Yeah. Well,
2: someone has to, but it's hard. It's hard to win, and I think sometimes that's lost sight of. I it. think Ernie Banks and Juan Marichal, Barry <laughs> Bonds,
1: Barry Ken Jr. You think about uh, Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn was one of the best hitters yeah. I ever saw. Ever. I mean, he got ever. I mean, he got smoked by the Yankees in that World Series. I like, you know, it's just you, you don't have the team. Like, you know, you don't have the, You're a great player, but you don't have the team to win it. So. So, and I don't know if there was you know, and, and as much of a Yankee fan I am, I don't know that any. I, I think that Pirates team in '79, the We Are Family, that 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 probably was more representation of a team than any you know team that I rooted for in my life. That's that '79 team that won it for the Pirates with Star and Parker and the Candyman and yeah, you know, yeah a the, lot of great Omar, players, Omar Marino and a lot of yeah, just a lot of really good players that came together as a team and they were able to win it. But yeah, yeah, there's so much emphasis just on that one player when. Sometimes you you look at the history of all of the sports, they're littered with great, great players that never won a championship because they just didn't have the team to get them over the hump.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. And you look at all the all the games that turn one way or the other. And heck, you know, here 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 with the Cardinals, look at that that one Super Bowl uh, that they were in, where everyone's saying, "Oh my goodness, we might just win this Super mm, yeah. Bowl after the touchdown to Fitzgerald, and then Ben Roethlisberger takes them down the field and, and they score that incredible touchdown, devastating at the end, devastating, yeah, it's totally devastating, totally to the devastating. Yes, uh, that, yeah, was it think, was.
1: So think about no, that now. Those right, are the, things that change games. The uh, the new new offensive coordinator for the Arizona Cardinals. Drew Petzing, had his press conference today. We'll tell you some of the things he said next right here on Arizona sports. The local sports
0: leader. Burns and Gambo afternoons on Arizona sports, the local sports leader.
1: All right. They've introduced the new GM. They've introduced the new defensive coordinator. And now they've introduced the new offensive coordinator. The Arizona Cardinals getting busy. With uh, the restructure of the entire uh, team, front office, and everything that they've done, uh, the latest was the new offensive coordinator. His name is Drew Petzing, and he was on. Uh, he did his press conference today, And a lot of interesting things to say. I'm going to start with uh, something we didn't hit on the last time. His vision for the Arizona Cardinals in the offseason and heading
3: into the season. Here's what he had to say. A big part of that vision is adapting to the players on the field and making sure that we're doing things that put them in a position to be successful, to do things that uh, tailor to their strengths, and to make it hard on the defense we're playing. So I think as we look at our opponents for next year, as we start to move through the off season and get out on the field and see what guys are good at, that's going to be a big part of that process. So certainly there's an aspect of it now as we start to watch tape and we go through some meetings as a staff and start to put our language together. But I think that's an ever evolving process as we move through the off season and into the season. Uh, if we're going to be as good as we need to be, uh, come the fall.
1: Howard Balza joins us on the uh, program. He's filling in for burnsy today. You've been around the league for a long time. You. You covered football for many, many, many years. Did you feel that Cliff Kingsbury, as the head coach, wasn't very adaptable with his game plans and the players week in and week
2: out? I, I, I thought he was more adaptable than he was given credit for. Uh, I really do, and I think that there seems to have been a certain amount of collective amnesia in forgetting what this offense looked like when it was really going well, and they had all their players on the field, healthy offensive line, running backs, receivers, whoever it might be. And, And then it started kind of collapsing when a lot of those guys weren't there, which really began at the end, the second half of the 2021 season. And I know, I know Cliff would kind of beat himself up at times and said, like when DeAndre Hopkins was lost with the injury in 2021, and, and he said I, I didn't do a good enough job of adjusting without him. Well, that's you know, that's, it's, it's easy to say that, but it's also tough to adjust when you don't have your best player out there, and your line is banged up, and, and your running backs are hurt. So I, I, I think that he was he was a work in progress, certainly. I think that a lot of other teams respected the offense that he put out there, and, and made it tough to defend that offense when it was going well. But then there were also those times, as we all saw, obviously, when it, when it didn't go well. And th- Things happen and it 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 just did it just wasn't consistent enough. But I personally, Gambo, I've always thought it was as much about the personnel as it was those who wanted to just say, Oh, the league caught up to Cliff Kingsbury or they caught up to the offense or they did this or they did that. But hey, like last year when you have your top three receivers that are DeAndre Hopkins, Hollywood Brown, and Rondale Moore, and they were never on the field for one game together, then that you know teams are going to be able to take advantage of that uh, teams can defend you when you don't have your best guys out there and plus gambo the times when kyler murray was out there not not the times that he wasn't playing because he was injured but the times when he was playing injured where he just wasn't the same guy and and that happened on quite a few occasions so to me, that's all going to be, you know, all this talk now is great. It's all great and all the new things and all the adaptability and all the buzzwords, you know, sound great. But the proof's going to be in the pudding when we see what the roster is and see if that roster can stay out there and they can stay healthy and you can do the things that you want to do as an offense because it becomes awful hard to do that when you don't have a lot of your tough
1: guys. I saw an offense with way too many screens just simply in those those screens of feast or famine and you know it's uh, you know you need to be able to play football and not just out athlete teams and you know Kyler was looking all over the place if he He's looking at the open guy. I think Kyler's great, <laughs> and uh, if he's not, then he doesn't really know what to do with it, but run. So, I think that's something that they've got to fix. I think if Kyler, Kyler's real dynamic, if the guy's open and he's looking at him, mm-hmm. he's going to get him the ball. But there, there, you know, there really wasn't a lot of rhythm and confidence, and then the concepts. I think the concepts were similar to what a lot of other teams run. I don't, you know, what he's what Cliff was running wasn't like oh, it was just this, you know, this unique offense that. No Nobody else in the world is is running. It was very similar. It was a very similar offense. The concepts were very similar to what you see a lot of other teams run. Yeah,
2: no, I would agree with that. You um, got to build off of those
1: concepts. You You, do. Know, man. you have to
2: build off the concepts, yeah. but you also you have to have that consistency and gotta convert add things. all the yeah all the basics, convert third downs and all that. And so I think I think this is going to be a very very interesting. Process as this new offense and all the new coaches try to make this work with. Obviously, the skill set that Kyler Murray has, but also some of the things that you wonder—you know, can he be? Can he be good in the pocket? You know, can can he be consistent in the pocket where he doesn't look to run uh, too quickly? You know, can he? You know, see see the whole field? Can he be disciplined? You know, all those things, and that's going to be the challenge for this offense and, uh, and these offensive coaches. And we're going to find out soon enough whether yeah. to, to see if they see if they can be successful. With it because we know how talented the guy is, but we also know that you have to be consistent in this league to be able to pull it off on a game to game basis. Well, here's
1: the Cardinals' new offensive coordinator talking about just that. You know, what needs to be done
3: for Kyler Murray to improve his game? Won the rehab. Um, but to no, I think he's a really talented player. Uh, that was one of the re- appealing things about this job to me uh, was being able to work with a quarterback of his caliber. Um, but it's about the entire offense and ultimately the entire team. Uh, it's not going to be just about him. Uh, he knows that. I think Jonathan knows that. I think as an organization we will preach that. Um, we need to build a great offense and a great defense and a great special teams unit to go out and be successful. I think that's going to be really the focus as we head into the season. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with Kyler.
1: I mean, this is obviously, this was a big... Issue for Michael Bidwell with the investment that he has, you know, into Kyler Murray to try to get more out of him to to try to have an off, off offense that just doesn't have simple concepts but builds on those on each one. You're always trying to build, and you know, to me, a quarterback that you know that can go through reads, go through progressions, and not struggle with those. Because, like I said earlier, Kyler, first guy's open, Kyler's going to be great. First guy's not open, Kyler's going to look to run. He's not always you know looking at the options and the pr- progression. So I do want to see how he builds an offense around this quarterback
2: yeah no i'm with you 100 percent on all of that and and how and how this roster uh, gets built there's so many questions that we've talked about today and so many other questions uh, that there still are in terms of uh, the receivers and, and especially that you know that offensive line you know you look at this team that jonathan gannon came from and with all all the things that they were able to do on offense, but a lot of it was because they had one of the best offensive lines in football. Sure, has to start there. And none of and none of those guys they, they missed three starts on the entire offensive line the entire season three starts I mean heck the Cardinals left tackle left guard and, and and center missed seventeen starts uh, combined uh, during the regular season so it's it's building that line having that confidence because you can you you can have the great skill you can, have, you can have all the great skill players you want but if your line can't protect or can't open holes for the running game then it's not really Going to matter, so that that's going to be the no. big. I think one of the biggest challenges this team has in the offseason is is rebuilding that offensive line. Was not, and I
1: agree totally. They have to do that, but there was just there really wasn't anything dynamic in who they were and what they did. There was no flow in terms of like getting into a rhythm and making plays consistently in the run game or the pass game. And and not, not that it was really like a staple of here's who the Cardinals are and here's what they do. It was almost like you know this the, all these different ideas that they put together, but no real staple of what the Arizona Cardinals are, so you know you'd like to have that identity. you hope these guys come in you you, you hope they get a lot more out of Kyler we'll see if this you know playing behind this you know in, in behind the center is going to work a little bit, not always lining up in shotgun. I'm looking forward to seeing that, but I totally agree with you because if you build a great offensive line like if you build a truly great offensive line like Philly had, man it's going to make everybody's life a lot easier. Kyler Murray's going to be fifty percent better just with that offensive line having improved
2: yeah. No- no, no, no doubt about it. And you mentioned taking a snap under center. I don't even think any of us have any clue who the center <laughs> is going to be. No. And it should have been boy. Taylor Linderbaum. That's who they wanted well, to draft. It, it should have been. It should have been. And yep. they probably would have drafted him if Hopkins hadn't got suspended. Yep. Because that led them to making the trade for Marquise Brown. And then we had the whole craziness with, with Rodney Hudson and what a different team this was in the last two seasons what a different team this was offensively when Rodney Hudson was on the field and when he wasn't. I think it's pretty clear he's not going to be with this team this year and so who knows who that center is going to be now going forward, but that's one of the biggest needs of this offseason. Just announced Guns and Roses are heading to Chase Field
1: on October 11th. Tickets go on sale Friday at 10am, but you can win a pair now by texting ROSES to 620-620. That's ROSES to 620-620. Welcome to the jungle. Guns and Roses his fans. Terrence Ross was on with us earlier. Why did he choose the Suns over the Mavs? We'll let you know. That's next on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Burns and Gambo, what's on tonight? uh, Nothing on tonight. (laughs) I think Howard's going to watch Dragnet, and I'm going to watch Peter Gunn, or maybe the Bowery Boys. Oh, you're not going to watch the you're Battle
2: Hawks and the, and the XFL game? <laughs>
1: I no, don't, I don't watch that. I think uh, there's some college basketball, Virginia-UNC, I believe. Oh, no, that's, over. that's on Saturday. So, yeah, we don't have any local teams in action tonight. Uh, maybe I could watch something on uh, dark retreats, right? Because didn't Aaron Rodgers come out yes. of his,
2: his darkness retreat? He did, yeah, from what like- I heard. It was supposedly only two days instead of four so hopefully he got his mind where it needs to be as he ponders the next move in his career hello darkness my old friend yep Time come to, to talk, talk with, with you, you again, you again.
1: <laughs> it was a 300 square foot room partially underground devoid of light queen size bed a bathroom and a meditation like mad that is fully powered. The lights can be turned on from inside the room, but it was somewhere in Oregon is where he went for his darkness retreat. So, I don't know. I've never heard of it before, but, you
2: know, to each his own. Howard, to each his own. And Aaron Rodgers has a lot of that to his own certainly I think it's fair to say that at times he marches to the beat of a different drummer. Oh, you go in Stone Ponies right
1: there? There we go, you little go Linda Stone, Ronstadt. Stone Ponies. Howard's like, I can't believe I'm talking when somebody kind of remembers the stuff from my era, <laughs> even though you're older than me. Of course, Linda Ronstadt and the Stone Ponies. Different drum, great song. We had Terrence Ross on earlier today. Let's talk about some of the things that, that he talked about. Why he chose the Phoenix Suns over the Dallas
4: Mavericks. I think it's just my role here with a you know, just a little bigger than it was in Dallas. Um, The way things, you know, it's kind of work out, they kind of needed somebody to help um, come off the bench, and, you know, they just kind of really, you know, pursued me in that that aspect, and uh, it just made better sense to come here.
1: Yeah, chose the Suns over the Mavs and, uh, you know, probably a better chance to win a championship as well. And he talked about that. He said that he ended up in Phoenix because the Suns want to win right now.
4: I think I would have had a bigger impact here than anywhere else. Um, you know, and I, I think with the way this, the play style and, you know, and all the pieces are adding, like, these guys want to win now. and um, You know, just that belief system that they, that they have, that they can do it. Um, you know, that, that was really something that kind of sold me, you um, know. You know, they're in a good position to, to compete and go far. So, you know, it just it is too good of an opportunity to pass
1: that. Yeah, remember, Howard, he was drafted by the Toronto Raptors first round. He was an early pick, spent a number of years with the Raptors. Then they traded him for Serge Ibaka. And then, like, the next year, the Raptors won the championship. So it had to be tough for him, right? I mean, you've been on the Raptors all these years. They trade you to Orlando. They get Ibaka. A year goes by, and then that next year, they end up winning the NBA championship. And that was your t- team that was your teammates that was your guys and so he's never won a championship Toronto Orlando and now Phoenix so this gives him that this gives him a chance to get that elusive title for himself
2: yeah and I I think it's it's going to be really fascinating once this all comes together and Duran actually starts playing I know you've probably talked about it many times as as many have throughout the day here at 98.7 but what is we know the big four I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? But from five, six, seven, eight, I don't know if you want to go deeper than that. But from that rest of the rotation, who's the fifth starter, might it be different some nights than other nights, depending on the, on the matchup and then how the bench is utilized and all those things is is really, really going to be interesting to see uh, with this team as it comes together down the stretch.
1: Yeah, I think maybe James Jones should do a darkness retreat to figure out like <laughs> what the rotation and Monty, Just do a darkness retreat and kind of figure out where they should be. Now, here's the big question. How easily will Kevin Durant fit in with this team here's what ross
4: said easily i mean it, it's like you say he's one of the best players I ever play um i mean when you have that you, you take advantage of it and you know he, he's one of the great ones for a reason he comes in he does his job he's you know unbelievably talented skilled and um i think all that's just going to speak for itself um i know everybody's trying to put pressure on him about you know bringing the championship and doing all this but at the end of the day man he, he's one of the great ones for a reason i think he's going to go out there and display that yeah, and that's what you would expect,
1: right? With a player that's, you know, they keep saying the word adaptable because, you know, his game can adapt anywhere with Kevin Durant. You expect that he's going to come in, a Ross said it. You expect he's going to come in, he's going to fit right in. He's not a he's not a ball hog, and, you know, he's you can run an offense through him, but, um, you know, what he does, his game is very much like what Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns do. They, he's got a great mid-range game, and he can make big
2: shots when you have to,
1: so I think everybody's expecting
2: this to be an easy trade. Transition for him, I, I would think it would be. I mean, the guy obviously just does so many things great that it's hard to imagine that it won't be. And then it's just how how does it impact all these other players? And do, do you think? Gambo, that in the minds of most Suns fans, the one guy that they're wondering about the most, how much this is going to impact him, is DeAndre Ayton, because here here's a guy that has always talked about will have great games, then then doesn't have great games, and everyone's wonder, wondering about him, what's his future hold, what what will the impact of Durant's arrival have on his game, and how much better can he end up being? That that's going to be, I think, really fascinating to see. Yeah star players that want to win, they make
1: sacrifices. So Devin Booker may not get as many shots as he's accustomed to, and Chris Paul's not going to shoot the ball as much now. You still need Ayton because he's that guy that's going to get the tip-ins, he's going to get the offensive rebounds and the putbacks, and, you know, if there's double teams being drawn to Booker or, or KD, I mean, it might allow DeAndre Ayton to get some big plays in the, in the paint, and he can score. He's a very high-efficiency scorer. I don't think D.A. takes a step back as far as his touches. I think that D.A. will get a very similar amount of touches. I I think the other guys, especially Paul, I, he, he's clearly not going to shoot the ball as much as the Suns needed him to or relied on him to in the previous two seasons. Probably
2: not. Probably not. But I wondered, does he at, at one point? this season? Does he end up breaking what is... I think his own individual record is 21 assists in a game. You think he reaches that or breaks (laughs) it with with his team around him? He might. I wouldn't put it past them. Eh, I mean, mean, I would... would... That's certainly possible.
1: Yeah, I mean, with those two guys, because they just at NDA. I mean, those guys score at will. So just feed them. Just feed Feed them the ball. You're going to get credit for a lot of assists, and that's his job. His job is going to be to make sure everybody's satisfied and happy, and gets their touches and moves it around, and make sure if one guy's hot that he stays hot, and if another guy's you know not, then you go you switch to somebody else. He'll be able to do it. All right, Howard. I really appreciate you filling in today. I'm glad to hear you're, you're getting better we enjoyed having you on the show very much and uh, look forward to talking to you again my friend thanks for joining us on the program
2: my pleasure man enjoyed being with you and look forward to the next time whenever
1: it is you got it we've got a real special edition of the big red rage coming up next it is their 600th episode 600th episode of the big red rage they've got a great special guest tonight too Larry Fitzgerald. Larry Fitzgerald will be on the Big Red Rage, so stay tuned. That's coming up next, right here. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Arizona Sports. I'll be back tomorrow at 2 o'clock sharp, right here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Have a great night, everyone.
3: You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. God.